You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Now, Jonah chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to go with me. Jonah chapter 4, as we continue in our series that we have entitled No Mercy, a series where we're walking verse by verse through the book of Jonah. And just to give you a little recap, I know we have several visitors this morning, so let me catch you up very quickly. Uh, basically, what we have in the book of Jonah is God comes to Jonah in chapter 1. This prophet says, hey, uh, there's a people, the people of Nineveh. It's the capital of Assyria. It's where modern-day Iraqi is. He says, look, their wickedness has come up before me, and so I want you to go to them, and I want you to call out against them because of their sinfulness. I want to see them turn from their sins and turn to me so that rather than experiencing death, they can experience life. But Jonah says, you know what, God? No, thank you. I'm not going to do that. I don't like the people of Nineveh. They are my enemies. They're a wicked people. And so you know what? I'm going to run from them. And I think we can put the map on the screen for you. Uh, Maybe, possibly. There it is. Um, Jonah, whenever he gets the word from God, he's right about where that A is. Rather than going to Nineveh as God had asked him to do, he goes down to the seaport in Joppa and literally catches a ship to head 2,500 miles to Tarshish in the complete opposite direction. If you're like, why in the world was Jonah so upset about going to Nineveh? Well, basically, we know that the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, were a wicked people. They were a ferocious people. In fact, how ferocious? Historians tell us that whenever a city would try to revolt against Nineveh, against the Assyrians, they would go into the city and they would inflict so much damage on that city, it would be equivalent to a nuclear bomb being dropped there except they would do all of it by hand. Uh, I was reading one account this past week, and I'll put it on the screen for you, from one of the uh, Assyrian kings, and he's just given an account of what they did in a city, and this is what he says. I built a pillar over the city gate, and I filleted all the chiefs who revolted, and I covered the pillar with their skin. Some I impaled on stakes, some I bound to stakes around the pillar, and I cut off the limbs of the royal officers who had rebelled. Many captives among them I burned with fire. I took some living captives and I cut off their noses, their ears, and their fingers. Of many, I put out their eyes. Those are the living ones. Nice guys, right? These are the guys that God says, Jonah, I want you to go to. I want you to tell them about their wickedness so that they will turn from that and that I can then in return bless them. And Jonah says, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. And so he heads the opposite direction to Tarshish. God then in his mercy sends a storm to disrupt Jonah's life, to interrupt it, right? And so the sailors on the ship, they're afraid for their lives. They throw Jonah off of the boat. Jonah goes into the water. God then we see appoints a great fish to come and swallow up Jonah. And there inside the belly of a whale or inside the belly of a fish, he begins to do heart surgery on Jonah. He begins to show Jonah how sinful he really is. And Jonah, he kind of comes to a moment of brokenness. And so in verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so God, it says, appoints the fish to vomit Jonah out of the fish's mouth. Jonah then lands on dry land and with seaweed all over him and fish vomit, God comes to him again and says, I'm telling you, I want you to go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah, he half-heartedly goes into the city of Nineveh and there he preaches the shortest yet lousiest sermon of all time. He gets up and literally all he says is, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overturned. No mention of good news, no mention of God, just 40 days and Nineveh shall be overturned. Deuces, right? He walks off the stage And to his surprise, God actually changes their hearts through this lousy sermon. They repent of their sins. 
They began to fast. They put on sackcloth, which was just a sign of, uh, of mourning for them. They turned to God, and Jonah, we then find as a result, is ticked. And that's where we come to in Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through verse 11, and then we'll dive into it. So this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you're a gracious God, you're merciful, you're slow to anger, and you're abandoned in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah then went out of the city, and he sat on the uh, east side of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in a shade until he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed then a scorching east wind and the sun to beat down on Jonah's head so that he was faint. And then he asked that he might die. And he said, God, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Jonah, do you um, do you well to be angry? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, even angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity this plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in the night, it perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left hand and also much cattle. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word that you have given us that is alive and it is active. Father, we recognize right now that your word, as it is being read, it's just as powerful as if you were standing here today speaking it yourself. Would you please now give us faith? Help us to believe this story and to see the implications that it has on our lives so that we can be freed from the destructive nature of sin and we can trust you more and experience the life that you have called us to experience. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, have you ever found yourself pouting over something ridiculous? Anybody other than me, like you've ever found yourself sulking over something you know you shouldn't be sulking over? Uh, there's been times in my life where I've certainly done this. Probably the greatest instance was the time I was 18 years old and I was coming back from Memphis with some friends of mine, and we decided to stop at a gas station to get our favorite gas station snack. And mine, by the way, now is Cosmic Brownies, but at the time it was the Hostess Snowballs. Anybody snowball fans in here? Elizabeth, my girl, right, awesome. Um, yeah, the, the snowball, some of you think it's disgusting because you hate coconut, but I love coconut, therefore I love the snowball. It's just it's like cupcake with, with uh, vanilla creamy icing and then like a marshmallow, like coconut topping on it. It's great. It's fantastic. And so anyways, I, I, I grab the snowballs and I get back in the truck and get back on the interstate. And one of my friends thought it would be really funny right before I go to eat the snowball if he could slap my hand and knock the snowball out. And so I go to take a bite. When I do, he hits my hand. The snowball then hits my window and falls into my truck floor. I'm a germaphobe, so I'm not picking it up and eating that. So immediately, like, I am ticked. I pull over the truck, true story, pull over the truck on the interstate, get out of the truck, and I begin to call my friend out of the truck. I said, we're going to fight right here. Like, we're going to do it. And, and here's the thing that's crazy. My friend was, like, twice my size. He went on to box. He went on to do mixed martial arts. But I didn't care. I mean, he would have killed me in a fight. But honestly, I was so mad, I would rather die than sit in a truck with him. And so I'm, I'm calling him out. My friends eventually, like, they taught me down, like, Jared, this is stupid. Get back in the truck. And so I get back in the truck. 
And the whole way home, over this snowball, I'm just sulking. I'm pouting. In fact, I'm so, I'm just so, I'm pitying myself so much, I don't even eat the other snowball. I'm like, it just doesn't even matter anymore. If I can't have both of them, I don't even want one of them, right? It was miserable. And some of you, like, I know you're looking, you're judging me right now, and that's okay. Like, you know, like, you know, like, I mean, that, that is so incredibly goofy. And maybe you've never literally done something that dumb, but haven't we all at times pouted over some things that we could all sit here and laugh about? So that was pretty ridiculous that we got mad over that, that, that we actually were sulking over that thing. Maybe for you it was because your spouse didn't do something that you wanted them to do, and you know you should have got mad about it, but you still got angry. Maybe it was because your favorite sports team got beat in a game. Uh, maybe it was because, right, you wanted to buy something, but you weren't able to get it, or maybe because you wanted acknowledgement for something, and you didn't get that pat on the back. I don't know what it is, but all of us in here, again, We've pouted over some things we should not be pouting over. Or another way of saying it, we have pitied ourselves over things that we should not be pitying ourselves about. And that's exactly where we find Jonah in chapter 4. Jonah is a man who is pouting. And the reason ultimately that he is pouting is because God relented of the disaster that he said that he was going to bring upon the Ninevites, right? Rather than destroying Jonah's enemies, God blessed Jonah's enemies. And Jonah, because he's so self-righteous, Because he's a nationalist who believes that because I'm a Jew, I deserve a blessing more than anybody else, right? We find Jonah sitting here absolutely ticked. He says, God, what you're doing is not fair. God, I'm a good man. I'm a prophet. I've tried to obey you. I'm a Jew. I'm your chosen people. I deserve to be blessed. But these wicked people, you know what they deserve, God? Punishment. They deserve consequences for their sin. But rather than you dropping the hammer on them, you forgive them. God, this is not right. Maybe it's where some of you are this morning. Maybe you look and you see people and you think, man, I am so much more spiritual than him or her. I work harder than they do. I'm more talented than them. And yet, God, you actually are blessing them more than you're blessing me. Some of you are struggling with this very thing. You think, okay, God, why in the world do good people suffer while bad people seem to prosper? This is what Jonah is feeling here. This is why he is pouting. I mean, we need to think about this, guys. Literally, what just happened in Nineveh is equivalent to God looking at Adolf Hitler and saying, you know, yeah, you murdered six million Jews. But because you're now fasting from food and you put on some sackcloth, you know what? You're good now. You know, you're free to go. No punishment, Adolf. No judgment. Would that upset you? That's what Jonah's experiencing right here. He wanted to see Nineveh pay for their sins. But rather than God paying them for their sins, God forgave them of their sins. And now we come to our text, and he's sitting up on this hill, and he's pouting, right? He doesn't go and join the party. He doesn't even go home. He sits on this hill, and he's pouting. And literally, what he's doing in verse 5 is it says he is waiting to see what God would do to the city. In other words, he's given God now a second chance to relent from his relenting. He's given God a second chance to see things his way, to see that that's not fair, and to actually destroy and lay out the Ninevites. And while Jonah's sitting there, look at verse 6 with me. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and he made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Don't miss this. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. 
in verse 1, Jonah's exceedingly mad. In verse 6, he's exceedingly glad. In verse 1, he's exceedingly mad. Why? Because people were forgiven by God, people that he hated. In verse 6, he's now exceedingly glad. And why is he so happy? Not because the greatest revival ever had just taken place. Not because people had turned from their sins as a result of his lousy sermon. But the reason and the only reason we ever see the text say that Jonah was exceedingly glad. The reason he is smiling is because he got some shade from the sun. I want you to think about that this morning. This is a prophet of God. His whole career is about pointing people to God. And in this story, the greatest moment of joy in Jonah's life is not when people turn from their sins and turn to God, but his greatest moment of joy is when a plant shades him from the sun. In other words, please hear this. Jonah's greatest moment of joy was not ultimately tethered to God's kingdom. Jonah's greatest moment of joy was tethered to his own comfort. Jonah's greatest moment of joy was not seeing people saved from sins. Literally in verse 6, it says, His greatest moment of joy was him being saved from his own discomfort. I could not help but think this week, I wonder if the same is true of you. And I wonder if the same is true of me. On Monday night, my daughter was having a meltdown, and um, I walked into the room to see what was going on, and, and, and same old story, right? I mean, like, they're trying to, they both want the same toy, and, and, and you know, she gets mad because it's her toy, and, and, and Wyatt, my son, wants to play with the toy, and so I get down first and, and on Wyatt's level, and I say, son, I say this often, hey, hey, you know what, um, son, we're not going to be takers, we're going to be givers, But then I looked at Nora and I said, at the same side, Nora, we're not going to be keepers. We're going to be sharers. And if people want to take and they want to borrow from you, you give it to them. And when I said that, she just lost it. Literally, I'm not exaggerating, am I? This is literally what she did when I said that. Just like that. That's not an exaggeration. And then she said, why is this happening? Why are my parents so bad? La, 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 I mean, that's literally, like, I'm not exaggerating. I looked at Megan, and this is what Megan was doing behind her back. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's so mature, mommy. You know? And so I picked Nora up, and I took her to the dining room, and I wore, no, I'm just kidding. I took her to the, I took her to the, uh, I took her to the dining room, and I said, look, Nora. Please, listen to me, baby. Think about what's going on right now. Literally, sweetie, you are loving your toys more than you're loving people. Sweetie, if you keep doing that, like, that is not going to go well for you. Like, do you realize, like, darling, you are, you're seriously loving your stuff more than you're loving your own brother. And, you know, and she, I, I'm like, she's probably not listening, but I'm, I'm trying to, you know, share truth with her later that night. Some of you saw this on Facebook. I, I go, and I'm, I'm in bed, and we just read a story, and I looked, and I could do every night. I asked her, I was like, hey, Nora, how can I pray for you tonight? And usually she says something like this, pray that God gives me a Lala Loopsie doll, you know, or something like that. And you know what she prayed on Monday night? Some of you saw this on Facebook. She literally said, pray that God will help me to love people more than I love cupcakes and toys. And that's what I did in my heart. Um, because you know what was happening in that moment? She was realizing my priorities are out of whack. 
the things that bring me my greatest joy should not be bringing me my greatest joy. Let me ask you this morning, what brings you your greatest joy? What is it that, like Jonah, makes you exceedingly glad? What produces in you feelings of happiness more than anything else? For some of you, like Jonah, you know what it is? It's your comfort. It's when you get what you want when you want. It's when you're able to live a life of ease. It's whenever you're able to pursue instant gratification and get it. For some of you in here, it's not comfort. What brings you the greatest source of joy is approval. It's when people pat you on the back for what you've done or they brag about something you've done or what you own and you just feel that affirmation from other people. For some of you in here, it's control. It's whenever you can dot every I and cross every T and have zero interruptions in your life. And you can say, I know how life works best. I'm going to plan it out this way. And as long as nobody gets in my way, then, man, I'm pumped. I'm happy. For others of you, it's power. It's building up a bigger bank account, climbing the corporate ladder, building a bigger business. It's what you're giving your life to. It's what brings you the greatest source of joy. For some of you stay-at-home moms in here, maybe your greatest source of joy It's just having an evening to yourself with peace and quiet. Some of you may be in here, your greatest source of joy is being able to veg out on Netflix or play video games. Maybe it's whenever you watch your favorite sports team win. It's whenever you buy that new outfit, you eat a fancy meal, or you get lots of likes on social media. I don't know what it may be. But again, here's the question. Listen to me, guys. I'm in front of a crowd, but we're all a crowd of individuals. For you, what is your greatest source of joy? Of joy. The next question I would ask on that is Is that joy tethered to the kingdom of God? Or is that joy tethered to the kingdom of self? Is your greatest joy attached to the kingdom of God or is it attached to the kingdom of self? For Jonah, guys, the greatest moment of happiness he has is when he's saved from his discomfort. And you see, because God knows what's in Jonah's heart, because he knows that Jonah cares more about himself being saved from the heat than he does about Ninevites being saved from their sins, God decides to turn the heat up. And so in verse 7, we see it says, But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. I love those four words. God appointed a worm. In chapter 1, God appoints a big fish. In chapter 4, God appoints a small worm. You know why I love that? Because it's a reminder that God is sovereign over all of creation. It's a reminder today that God is sovereign over all things, even the things we think that do not matter. There is not one. Do you understand? There is not one rogue molecule in the universe right now. There is nothing that is beyond the sight of God. Is that not mind-blowing? There's nothing beyond His sight. There's nothing beyond his power. He sees the worms. I promise you, he even sees you right now. So if you feel like, man, God's not even paying attention. He knows your life. He's aware of you. God sees the worms. He's so powerful, literally. He does what he wants, when he wants. And he says to this worm, look, I want you to go from here to there. I want you to get hungry. I want you to eat this plant. And the worm says, yes, sir. And he does it. And why does God want the worm to go eat the plant? Well, not ultimately because God is trying to display his power. Ultimately, the reason God wants him to do that is because he wants to display his mercy. God is still showing, this blows my mind, he is still showing 
little wicked Jonah the same mercy that he has shown to the Ninevites so that like the Ninevites, Jonah will see the sin in his own heart and turn from his sin and it go from death to life. But unfortunately, Jonah does not get this. That's why we come to verse 8. And if you look with me, when the sun rose, God appointed in a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, God, it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, Jonah still doesn't get it. He does not get that the suffering in his life, the discomfort that he is experiencing, it is not because God is mad at him. It's because God is being merciful to him. God is not giving up on Jonah. He does not want Jonah just to continue to go through life thinking all is well. He is trying to expose the sin in Jonah's heart. That's what's going on here. In love, God is sending the discomfort into Jonah's life because in love, he's trying to turn his heart back to where it needs to be. But because Jonah doesn't get this, literally he says, not God, I want you to help me kill my sin, but God, I want you to kill me. And again, if you were God and I was God, would we not just kill him at this point? This is the second time he said something foolish like this to God, to test the God of the universe. Just kill me. If this is the way you're going to run things, just kill me. I'd rather die than be in a planet with you. Wouldn't you kill him? I would. I'd be like, dude, I created you. The breath you have in my lungs is because I put it there. Everything you have, you little punk, it's because I gave it to you. Let's not forget God could do that and still be just for it. But what does he do? Behold the patience of God, everyone. Verse 9. Jonah, do you do well to be angry over the plant? That's God's response. Do you, do you do well to be angry over the plant? And he said, yeah, I do, even angry enough to die. So again, just popping off to God. Which, by the way, is never good to do. So this is not like, hey, if Jonah did it, we can do it. Even angry enough to die, in verse 10, the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You did not make it grow. It came into being in a night. It perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? God says, uh, Jonah, I've got a question for you. Jonah, you know what I'm most concerned about? I'm most concerned about these people. What are you most concerned about, Jonah? Oh, that's right, a plant. Jonah, I'm most concerned about men, women, and children who, if they do not turn from their sins, will burn in hell. What are you most concerned about? Oh, I know, being burned by the sun. Jonah, I... I'm most concerned about lost souls. What are you most concerned about, Jonah? Oh, that's right, the fact that you lost a plant. Jonah, I'm most concerned about people knowing me. What are you most concerned about, Jonah? Oh, that's right, yourself. Wouldn't it be so easy to come down hard on Jonah in this moment? But then God turns the question to you and to me. Jared, what are you most concerned about? Well, honestly, I'm a little concerned about my finances. This past week, my gate broke, and I had to spend money to get that fixed. My wife's car's having some problems. i got to work on fixing that. She's got doctor bills because she's going to the doctor for our baby, and i got medical bills for that, and I'm trying to save money for a minivan. I don't even like the thought of that because anyone would be like Luke who said he's not going to get a minivan, and then he got a minivan. And so it's like... <laughs> And so, yeah, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about my zoysia grass. 
I bought zoysia grass, and then it rained a whole lot, and I got a bunch of weeds, and now it's not raining that much, so it's kind of like getting brown spots, and blah, 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 right? God, woe is me. What about you? What are you most concerned with? God says, you know what I'm concerned about? I'm concerned about that person you work with that nobody else likes that needs Jesus. You know what I'm concerned about? That neighbor you live beside that you've never talked to. You know what I'm concerned about? I'm concerned about your mother-in-law, and so are you, but in different ways. I'm concerned about the people you like the most and the people you like the least. I'm concerned about your best friends and your worst enemies. I'm concerned about the person in your missional community who is strained for me, that at one time was on path, but now you can see like they're walking away, they're living in sin, and you're doing nothing about it. I'll tell you what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the people at Bell Mead who are older and, and some of them are dying without hope. I'm concerned about the people in the foster care system. I'm concerned about the internationals who have moved to Paragould, Arkansas because of civil war or because of terrorism and they worship false gods. I'm concerned about the men, the women and children in the city, the thousands upon thousands of people that if they died right now, they would spend an eternity in hell. What are you concerned about? Some of us this morning, if we can be honest... If you just do an assessment of this past week and you think about the things that you got most upset about, I wonder what percentage of that concern would be tethered to God's kingdom and how much of it would be considered to the king, or tethered to the kingdom of self. The things that we got so bent out of shape about, so upset about, how much of it do you really think was about the kingdom of God and how much was about the kingdom of self? Some of you in here, listen. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Some of you in here, you give financially to this church. You share your faith. Some of you really are trying to use your time, your talents, and your treasures to use for the glory of God. And listen, because of you, Fellowship Paragold exists. Because of you, we're able to give away $25,000 in missions this year. It's because of you we're able to plant a church in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we're able to support Rusty so that he can plant the gospel there. It's because of you we're able to have staff who can counsel people and equip you to do ministry where God's called you to do ministry. It's because of you that we're seeing lives being changed. We're seeing disciples being made and the real Jesus being made known to men, women, and children, not just in this city, but all over, literally all over the country. Some of you, I know you get this today, and man, I thank God for you. Some of you, you serve selflessly. Even right now, we have people in the children's ministry who are having to take care of my crazy kids, and they probably want them to get one pat on the back today. Some of you, you're serving selflessly, you're giving abundantly, and you're not doing it out of duty, you're doing it out of delight. You're not doing it to get God off your back, you're doing it because you know why? You've really encountered God. You've experienced His grace. You've experienced His mercy. You've experienced His love in such a profound way that you can say, you know what, He's better than anything else in the world. I'm going to live for His kingdom rather than my kingdom. But then there are some of you in here, if you can be honest today, you care more about your comfort than you do about the kingdom. I fear there are some of you in here that honestly, like, you're giving your life to just living a decent life. Just keeping you and your kids safe, having a decent phone, a decent job, a decent house, a decent car. Get your kids in a decent college. Save a decent amount for retirement, die and go to heaven. I promise you guys, God is calling you too.
much greater things. Some of you in here, if you can be honest, you grieve more over obstacles to your comfort than you do over the lost. Some of you, you're giving more of your time and your finances and your energy to advancing the kingdom of self than advancing the kingdom of God. And I'm not trying to just like pile shame and guilt on you. I'm trying to, in love, to get you to stop like God's trying to do with Jonah and think about what's really going on inside of your heart. I'm trying to keep you from being deceived, from thinking just because we show up here, we sing a few songs, we listen to preaching, that we're good to go. That's all I'm trying to do, guys. What are you most concerned about? What is it that brings you your greatest moments of joy? For some of you, maybe this week, honestly, your greatest moment of joy was whenever a boy carried a ball over a line to win a game. What does that say about our hearts and what we truly believe about God and what he's called us to? Some of you, your greatest moment of joy this week was getting a new toy or watching a new show. I don't know what it may be, but if that's where you are, listen, guys, you are so much more like Jonah than you ever imagined. Should I not, God says in verse 11, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left hand and also much cattle? It's a weird ending, isn't it? Not very good literary form. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left hand and also much cattle? I thought about seriously just walking off the stage after that, dimming the lights, being like, God bless. But then I was like, because that's where the story ends. But I was afraid if I did that, you wouldn't get the point. Here's the point. God says, Jonah, help me out here. What do you think I should do? Hey, Jonah, am I, am I going overboard with my grace and my mercy? Jonah, should I change? Jonah, should I pity the plant more than I pity the people? Jonah, hey, is your anger wiser than my compassion? Hey, Jonah, should I be more like you? Or should you be more like me? Curtain closes. Story ends. It's an inconclusive conclusion with a question mark. Why did God end it this way? Because here's the point. The point is not how Jonah responds. The point is how are you going to respond? The point is not what's Jonah's next move. The question is we all should be figuring out what's our next move. The truth is, as we've learned in this series, we are all like Jonah. Amen? Who in here has not at a time run from God? Who in here can say that literally every single thing in this Bible that it tells me to do, I'm doing it? Guys, honestly, there are some things in our life we know God's calling us to do. We're not doing it. There are some things in our life he said to stop doing. 
but we're still doing it. All of us in here have run from God. All of us have tended to be self-righteous at times, to think that because I'm good, God should bless me, and because they're not as good as me, God should bring punishment on them. All of us at times have chose our comfort over the kingdom. We've lived more for the kingdom of self than we have the kingdom of God. And maybe that's even where some of you are right now. Some of you still are habitually living this life. And listen, because God loves you and because he's merciful, he's given you this book to help you see that you are Jonah. But that God's mercy still abounds. Guys, you realize you have breath in your lungs today? You're still alive. You still have a chance to listen to God's call on your life and to respond in the way that he has called you to respond. You still have a chance to kill your sin before it kills you. Look at your schedule, guys. Look at your finances. Some of you, it tells the truth. You are living for the kingdom of self. Your kingdom is what directs your thoughts. It directs your relationships. It it, it directs your marriage, your parenting, your finances, everything. Hear God this morning. He says to you, what are you now going to do about it that you know that's true? What is your next move? How are you going to respond? Are you going to continue to choose your comfort over my kingdom? Are you going to continue to trust your own self to believe that you know better how to run your life than I do? It's kind of a heavy message, isn't it? That's what Jonah, Jonah's relentless, really. The whole book of Jonah. What it, what it does, I was telling a guy this past week, what I think Jonah does for us is it's kind of like that piece of firewood at the bottom of the stack when it looks good, but then you turn it over and it's like rotting and it's got this like, you know, bugs that are just kind of like looking at you with both eyes and you're just turning over and you're like, ooh. And what we discover is that ooh is you and it's me. We all look so good on Sunday. We all look great, but if we can just turn our lives over a little bit, we begin to see that we're just like Jonah. That we're a mess. How are you going to respond this morning at the end of this series? How are you going to respond? What's your next move? You know what I believe happened to Jonah? There's a lot of different theories out there. I believe that God eventually won Jonah's heart over. And the reason I believe that is because Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. (laughs) Nobody would say this about themselves apart from a lot of self-awareness and a lot of self-reflection. And you realize, you know what, I I was a moron. That was stupid. Right? And I don't want other people to make the same mistakes that I've made. So really, I think the whole point of Jonah, you want to take it with you? Here you go. I think the whole point of Jonah, I think the, the point of the book of Jonah, it's not about the salvation of the Ninevites. It's about the salvation of Jonah. I think the whole point of this book, it's not about God saving a wicked city. It's about God saving, listen, it's about God saving a good man who finally realized, you know what, I need God more than I ever thought I did. Have you come to that place where you say, man, I need God? And have you cried out to him in desperation and experienced that he really is more gracious and more merciful and more loving than you could ever imagine, that his love is better than anything else the world has to offer? I just I wasn't planning on saying this, but I think it's important. I spoke with a woman just this past week that I think experienced God's love for the first time. She's sitting here many times, and she made the comment, hey, when you talk about God's love and you talk about the gospel and all that, my heart wasn't really warm, but now that I've tasted it, whew, it's life-changing. Some of you, man, when I talk about this stuff, your eyes glaze over because you have not experienced it. You have not opened your hearts yet. I pray that it doesn't take a storm 
like God had to send a Jonah. I pray that it doesn't mean that God's going to make you more and more uncomfortable. I pray that right now, through the power of the Spirit, that God will speak to you in a way He's never spoken to you before. That you will realize, you know what? I'm more sinful than I can ever imagine, but I'm more loved than I ever dreamed. And that you will open your heart to this love. That you will own your sins and you will take them to Jesus, who we have said each week is the better Jonah. Jesus Christ Unlike Jonah, he did not come into this world reluctantly. He came joyfully. Unlike Jonah, Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He said, I came to save the world. Unlike Jonah, Jesus did not come clinging to his comfort. He came clinging to a cross. He gave up his comfort for you and me. He lived the only sinless life to ever been lived. He died a death we deserve to die. He then rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell for you and me so that now, no matter who you are or what you have done, right now, you can encounter God's love. You can experience the salvation and the satisfaction that you have been longing for. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to jump through a hoop. You simply need to open your heart up and say, yes, I have sinned. Yes, I am in need of you, Jesus. And yes, your grace is sufficient for me. If you have not done that, I pray that it happens today. Some of you in here, you are incredibly religious and you're incredibly lost. Can you finally admit today that you're a sinner in desperate need of God? Or is that beneath you? Some of you in here today, you're not incredibly religious. You would say, I'm incredibly irreligious. I mean, if you knew what I did, like you guys wouldn't even let me in here today. Some of you feel like you've done so much, you're too far. You've gone, you've done too much. Listen, if God can change Jonah's heart, I promise he can change yours. Don't try to fix yourself. Don't try to get all of your doubts and all your questions answered. Don't try to make yourself better by your, you cannot do it. Listen, you know what Jesus wants you to do today? He wants you to come to him as you are. All your mess, all your junk, fish vomit, it doesn't matter. You come to him as you are. This morning as we end, I pray that no matter who you are or what you have done, that we will all see, look around. Do you know what we all have in common today? We all stand in incredible need of Jesus Christ. Would you amen that? And therefore, my hope as we continue to move forward as a church is not that we'll begin to pat ourselves on the back and say, man, look how good we're doing, but that we will all realize our need more and more and that we will stumble towards Jesus together and that we truly will be a church in this city that will say, you know what? I want to give my life to seeing God's kingdom come and his will being done here as it is in heaven. Amen? I'm going to ask that you'll close your eyes as the band comes. And I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I just It's just easy to get distracted. That's the only reason I tell you to close your eyes.